Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in. We have two guests today, and I am so excited to talk with them. We have Paul Tweet and Michael Anderson, and these adventurers are doing something I've never heard of before, and I'm so excited to hear how it's going. They have decided that they were going to clean up 1,200 miles of riverways in Minnesota this year. And they started in June. They're planning to end up in October, and we are lucky enough to catch them in between the various legs of their adventure and and I am so excited to hear what they've been seeing how they've been doing and just thrilled to have them on so welcome to Go Green Radio Paul and Michael Thank you for having us Jill it's excellent to be here to be able to share the journey of what we're doing with you, you and your listeners today and we're excited to hear about it. Paul, I want to start with you. Um, you guys recently got back from one of the legs of your expedition. Which river were you just working on, and how did it go? Share some of the highlights with us. Okay. Yeah, so we just completed paddling the Minnesota River, which is a 317-mile river crossing Minnesota from the South Dakota border, ending where it meets the confluence with the Mississippi in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, We spent 26 days paddling 302 miles of that river, and we removed roughly 5,000 pounds of trash. Um, It was a a heavy trip. (laughs) Wow. We saw so many eagles on that journey, and that was was a beautiful thing to see along the way. But uh, along the way, I mean... Heavy really was something, a word we used to describe this trip, because not only was the trash load that we found in the river heavy, but so was the humidity, the the storms and tornado warnings we experienced while we were on the water, the heat. Um, And, you know, we cleaned up 5,000 pounds of trash, but we also got GPS coordinates for where 25,000 pounds more was in the river that we couldn't remove. Things like cars. Um, oh, my gosh. And, the, and tractor tires that were just unable to move with a, with a canoe. Um, something memorable about the journey was the people and the communities along the way. They, they met us with such support, and they offered, you know, People we've never met before offering meals, offering to take trash away for us when we're unloading it, um, offering places to stay. Things that that is so incredible. And and how did those people find you? I mean, how how did that happen? How did those connections um, come to fruition? Yeah. So some of that was actually, in fact, most of it was just being in the same place at the same time. It was just serendipitous that we crossed paths with these folks who, upon seeing us with beautiful canoes and then unloading trash, uh, seeing us, that it sparks conversation. They want to know what we're doing and why we're hauling trash with a canoe that's as beautiful <laughs> as it is. And um, then... It 
just kind of all worked out, being in the right spot at the right time, crossing paths, and then being open to conversation. That is very cool. And Michael, I know that the first leg of your Three Rivers expedition ended around the end of June. Um, What waterways were you working on then, and what were some of the most memorable moments of that part of your expedition? Yeah, absolutely. And just uh, a big good morning to you, Jill, and and all the listeners Mm -hmm. out there of Go Green Radio. Thanks for for having us on today. Uh, The first river for our Three Rivers expedition was the Namakagan and St. Croix River Waterway. Um, That's around 237 miles beginning in central Wisconsin, and that flows southwest um, until it meets up uh, with the Mississippi. And very different story, very different river um, than the one, the Minnesota that Paul was just describing. The St. Croix was really wild and free. Um, A lot of that, most of that river is actually federally protected under the Wild and Scenic River Act. Um, And so a lot of that is through National Park Service Corridor. And Jill, let me me tell you, we, (laughs) that was our first river and we had no time to spare getting right into it. We launched um, on, at the headwaters on Namakagan Lake and immediately encountered shallow rock rapids. So for myself, I've been doing a lot of canoeing the past few years, and Paul's been doing a lot of hiking, so it was really a quick, quick learning experience of, okay, mm-hmm. you want to paddle this river? Well, here you go, right off the bat, navigate <laughs> rock after rock in, in shallow stretch. Um, so not really a lot of time to ease in, but kind of on those lines of this wild and scenic, we didn't encounter any people for like the first five days. Trash levels were pretty low. Um, and it just was a really good start to our Three Rivers expedition this season um, for Paul and I to get acquainted again and just really get connected um, with, with the place. That's really cool. Now, Paul, help us understand your living conditions while you're on these expeditions. I mean, you said you guys are using canoes. Uh, talk to us a little bit about, you know, what those watercraft have to offer to you to help you, you know, pull in the trash. Where do you sleep? What do you eat? Kind of help us understand how you live when you're out there. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's such a simple life. It really is. It cuts everything down to the, the basis of what it really is, down to the core. Um, the canoes we're in are handmade by youth, urban youth at Urban Boat Builders, in St. Paul, Minnesota, it's a nonprofit that empowers the urban youth and to through a craft uh, to help build team team building skills and teamwork. And there are these beautiful skin over a wood frame boats that the light just shines through. They're such such incredible. We we jokingly call them the vessels of light because as the sun rises and sets and is low in the sky, it just shines such a beautiful light through our canoes and you can see the water dancing across the skin. And uh, so we each paddle one of these canoes by ourselves, a solo paddle, so that we have more room and maneuverability to load with trash as we find it. And then... You know, so we paddle for roughly 20 miles a day on average. And in doing that, that takes up a lot of the daylight hours. But then we, we make sure to stop, enjoy our time. So we stop and, and see what we can along the banks and experience the wildlife that's there. 
And then setting up camp, we, we sleep in tents. We each have our own tent, and we will sleep. There are campsites along the way on these rivers. There are also campgrounds in some areas that we can camp near other campers and get to hear their stories about what they're doing and how they're connecting with the river. We also have slept during severe weather underneath bridges. Um, during a wow. particular tornado warning, we, we managed to get off the water in time and, and set up under a bridge, which turned out to be a wonderful campsite, actually. <laughs> we got to see the entire shift in nature of how chaotic it gets out there. But then we were still safe and dry, which was quite nice. Um, we sometimes even on sandbars just along the river, but that can always be interesting with high winds and. Sure. In terms yeah. of food, we've been eating so well. We eat a lot of <laughs> uh, root vegetables and beans and rice. Uh, burritos are a, a typical go-to. You can eat anything in a tortilla. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so we've been working with another nonprofit in the area named Sisters Camelot, and they address issues of food waste and and areas of low access to high quality organic foods. And so they pick up from food distributors foods that would go to waste or be thrown away or not sold. And then they distribute it out for free amongst the community, and we're partnered with them, and they're helping supply the quality foods that we have. That is so cool. I love how you guys collaborate with so many different folks. And speaking of that, Michael, talk to us about the logistics of getting litter and debris out of the water, onto the shore, and then hauled to the right place. I'm sure that took some partnership. Um, How does all that work, and what kind of partnerships did you need in order to pull off this river cleanup. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Jill. It is a, it's a big undertaking. It's quite mm-hmm. audacious, and it definitely requires many hands and many hearts activated working together. Uh, one of the mantras Paul and I have is we can do so much more together, um, and, and we firmly believe in that. And so we really focus on a lot of local community twin cities uh, in the Minnesota partnerships, Um, But then also in terms of removing the trash, we want to be extremely mindful that we're not just shuffling garbage around. We want it out of the riverway. We want to free up those waters and, and, you know, help promote healthy ecosystems. So we've been working with National Park Service. We work with the Minnesota DNR, uh, Department of Natural Resources, as well as local municipalities and and just local community members. Like Paul was saying, you know, we strike up a conversation at a boat landing and we kind of have a unique story. We we pull off uh, loaded with trash and, um, you know, just just strike up a conversation and have just been overwhelmed by the generosity and and community support. So to kind of give a a picture of what this trash removal looks like on the river – um, you know, we really are kind of like these, it's like modern day hunting, uh, but in the most healing and, and remediative sense, uh, you, you kind of start developing an eagle eye for anything that looks out of place, maybe something that's shining weird, um, it has an unnatural curve, something that, that just doesn't quite seem right. So, as Paul was saying, we're each in our own boat, paddle on over, check it out, 
sometimes you think it's one thing and it ends up being, you know, a hundred different small pieces of glass or huge chunks of styrofoam that have uh, slowly breaking down and just don't disintegrate. They just build up there. So we paddle over, uh, jump out of the boat on the shore or rope up our boat to a log. Um, and often it involves then digging out an item, say it's a tire. All right, we, we found 50 tires so far that we've removed from the water. Oh, my gosh. And, <laughs> which has been crazy. And so, you know, it's one thing to, yeah, say we're removing a tire, but what that means is digging it out, washing it, loading it in the boat in accordance with everything else that is already present in the boat, paddling, you know, maybe then 10 miles with a 50-pound tire, getting it to a, a boat landing, unloading, weighing it, and then, you know, ensuring that it is then getting removed either, you know, through with through those partnerships with the DNR or, or other community members. Um, so just being really mindful oh, of actually getting out of the riverway. Yeah, that is an amazing undertaking. And we're going to talk so much more about this with you guys after this quick commercial break. We'll be right back, folks. Don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. And if you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guests today are Paul Tweet and Michael Anderson. They have 
launched this incredible expedition this year to clean up 1,200 miles of riverways in Minnesota. And they're doing this in, they have, each have a canoe, they're onloading uh, waste that they find in the rivers and getting this waste to the right place. And Michael, I'd love for you to talk to us about how you and Paul formed a plan to undertake this huge task. Where did you get the idea? And then how long did it take to plan all the details? Because this is quite a huge undertaking. Yeah, absolutely, Jill. And so a lot of this um, this idea of adventure stewardship, it really comes out of uh, this Packing It Out mission, with which Paul Tweet and a guy named Seth Orm um, founded over the last two years, hiking uh, long trails across the U.S. And, you know, Paul called me, and we started chatting. And, uh, Jill, to be honest, I'm a river rat. The water's in my blood. I, I'm so captivated by the life-carrying and sustaining ways that, that the rivers have and, and body and, and just... You know, so with that in mind, we decided, you know, action over words. Um, the summertime, good time to be out, be active. You know, let's, let's get audacious, ambitious, 1,200 miles. So we really focus on uh, moving from patterns to details in terms of planning. Um, you know, it, it really comes down to constant judgment calls on the river. So there's only so much that's in your control. There's only so much that you can predict and if you exude too much energy trying to plan out every detail, uh, you know, it's just going to unravel anyways when you get out there. So you might as well have the intention, keep the mission, um, and keep, keep working every day. And kind of a note for anyone that is involved in something like this or just this, this idea is have a balance on your team. Uh, and so what I mean by that, uh, Paul and I really balance each other out well. Uh, I like to kind of stay in the bigger picture of things, going with the flow. Um, and Paul's fantastic at, at really the details and, and executing and getting things done, action. And so, you know, working together, it's, it's just been an incredible uh, undertaking, and, and uh, that balance is really crucial. Well, that, that is so true. I mean, for any undertaking, whether it's, you know, something as, you know, outdoorsy as this or even, you know, doing things that are, um, you know, contained in an urban environment, I mean, I think having different skill sets on a team is really important. And so you said a mouthful there. Um, that's, that's a very good piece of advice. Mm-hmm. Paul, I'm curious, what made you guys choose the rivers that you did? What was it about these particular waterways that, um, that made you choose them for your expedition? Well, Jill, and there's a couple yeah. of reasons why we chose these rivers. And I'll start out first and foremost with the fact that both Michael and I have spent a lot of time on the waterways around Minnesota, and we both had a deep desire to paddle each of these three waterways prior to even beginning our conversation of, of turning it into the cleanup that it became. And so that was an important part, just the fact that we wanted to be out there and experience these locations. And a part of the reason for those desires was the fact that there is such a vastly varying history of use and management of these rivers. Um, the Namakagan St. Croix rivers are uh, they're mostly managed by National Park Service, as Michael mentioned. 
they have a big history of logging and there's a lot of steamboat tourism. There's a lot of, of Native American history that crosses out there as well in the northern Wisconsin and the edge of Minnesota. Uh, the Minnesota River has the, you know, it flows mostly through prairie lands and those have, over the last few centuries, turned into primarily agricultural lands and, and floodplain forests as well. But there's such a rich history of the pioneer settlements and Native American villages along that riverway and the way those interactions happened. And that actually influences the trash we found on that riverway quite a bit. We found a lot of historic uh, dump sites, homestead dump sites, if you will, where there's, wow. there's things from, like, uh, what was one? It was a horse-drawn plow, like a... Uh-huh. It had leather straps on it that were eroded away, but there was little remnants of them left and just some really unique things that way. And then the Mississippi, because, well, one, it's an American icon. It's yeah, it's powerful, and it drains something like two-thirds of the North American continent, or at least of the continental U.S. And for that reason, we wanted to see it from its start and with its history as a fur trade route, and logging and how it's become an industrial waterway. We just wanted to feel it. I mean, as recently as the 1970s, there were still communities dumping raw sewage into that river. So we're excited to get out onto that one next to really just see the change and the difference between the three rivers because they're all so unique. That's really cool. And, you know, I, th- I think for people who don't live near rivers or in many cases don't know they live near rivers, I was working with a, a group um, that's trying to conserve and to preserve the L.A. River. They found that most residents of Los Angeles didn't even know that this very important waterway flowed right through the city. But, you know, I think wow. it's so fascinating, you know, the the. The, what you can learn and what you can glean, what your spirit can glean from being close to these waterways. Um, Michael, I wanted to ask you, too, how are you guys documenting this expedition? Because I know that our listeners are going to want to follow your work, and I want to know how they can do that. What kinds of things will they learn when they get out there and see what you guys are doing? Yeah, I really liked what you just said about what our spirits can glean by being by water, by being by these rivers. Um, that is something that Paul and I are taking in every day when we're out there. And on our blog, adventurestewardship.org, um, we're actually sharing a lot of those stories. So we do a lot of photo journaling. We do a lot of sharing of kind of some of these uh, deeper lessons and, and ecological truths that, that come up on these rivers. So the blog is a huge way that people can follow along with these stories, um, learn more about uh, characters of the river, the flora, the fauna, the people, the stories. Um, we really prioritize sharing a sense of place. Uh, we believe that with expanded awareness, um, you start seeing the interconnectedness of, of the, the, the web of life, the, the life that exists on these rivers. So the blog is a great source um, for those, those stories and those characters. Social media as well. Um, we're, we're very active on our Adventure Stewardship Alliance Facebook and Instagram pages, um, sharing a lot of photos. Paul's a fantastic photographer. Um, if you haven't checked out those, those pages yet, social media is a good source for that. And then kind of unique is, we have an audio recorder with us. So we spend every day, as, or as, as much as we can, we try to just pause 
we take a half hour, we sit at the banks, and we just flip on the audio recorder. And in that, we really hope to kind of catch a glimpse of, of place and then share that um, broadly. So that is, look for that to come on the website in not too long. We're working on getting it uploaded kind of in between rivers here. But we're just really all about sharing the experience. You know, we kind of see ourselves as connective tissue, and we believe that there's important work to be done in connecting people natural world and from that comes relation and from relation comes caring and stewardship so those the blog social media audio recordings and we even hope to get into a podcast in 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 the future very cool i love it and and just so our listeners can can stay tuned are you guys going to use soundcloud by any chance for the audio or do you know yet that is a really good question. There's a possibility. We're still looking at different options for that okay. at the moment and okay. doing some learning along the way mm-hmm. of how we're going to best present that material. Mm-hmm. You got it. Well, because I know that some of our listeners are big SoundCloud you know, fans. So anyway, just wanted Great to, to, know. to <laughs> <laughs> So. Paul, I know that Granite Gear sponsored you guys on this trip, and I'd love for you to talk about your partnership with them and what made you guys want to partner with this company in particular. Okay. Yeah, Granite Gear has been a primary uh, supporter of what we're doing this year and as well as years past for me. And what I mean by that is, I guess I'll start from the top. I've been using a Granite Gear pack for years for hiking trips because, honestly, they just have this history of durability and this just good design, intuitive design on their on their packs. And I really appreciated that myself just on a personal level and had purchased one of their packs and used it for thousands of miles of, of backpacking. And then that translated into, while hiking the Appalachian Trail, uh, I was hiking a trail with my friend Seth Orm, our friend, I should say, (laughs) and uh, Mm -hmm. we were cleaning up trash on the Appalachian Trail. We ended up at this event called Trail Days, and it's a big event for thru-hikers coming through Damascus, Virginia, and Granite Gear had a tent set up, and they were offering to fix packs and gear of any type, of any brand, at that event, and I thought that was really cool, and so we stopped and we talked to them about what we were doing. We just told them our story and how much we appreciate their gear because our our group of four people was all carrying Granite Gear packs at the time uh, just because we knew they were durable and dependable. Mm-hmm. And from that, then they said, we love what you're doing. How can we help you? How can we get involved? And it evolved into a sponsorship over the the following two years of hiking the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail. Now this year they have again sponsored us and they have been beyond financial support helping us. We're still over 80% self-funded on our endeavor here, but they are they're a primary supporter that way. They've also helped us with providing gear that we didn't have, like portage packs and just different organizational systems with stuff sacks. And the most helpful thing that they have been there for in in our eyes has been their outreach. Shelly Smith, who handles their PR and communications, is 
instrumental in helping us get the word out, helping us connect with you um, Mm -hmm. and and a number of different events. But, you know, with Granite Gear, after seeing what we did with packing it out in the last two years on National Scenic Trails, they started a, a group of ambassadors called the Groundskeepers, which is a group of people who are willing to do more while they're on a hike to clean the area up, to leave it better That's than they so found cool. it. And I love so that. The forward thinking of Granite Gear as an organization, as an outdoor recreation gear company, they realize that they depend on the health and regeneration of our nation's public lands and waters. So they're acting in a prudent way to make a positive impact on these wild places. And ultimately, that's why I want to be partnered with them. Well, and it sounds like you had a positive impact on them, too. So it's a it's a reciprocal relationship. I love that story. We're going to be right back, folks, with more Go Green Radio. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this quick break. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad that you all tuned in. I just want to give you guys a little reminder that Go Green Radio is just one part of a much bigger organization called the Go Green Initiative. And in fact, keep listening to us in this tab of your web browser. But if you want to check out uh, the website for my nonprofit organization, you can go to gogreeninitiative.org. I founded it back in 2002, and it's an environmental education program that works with schools in all 50 U.S. states. We even have schools in 73 countries registered with the Go Green Initiative, and we help them do two things. First of all, conserve natural resources for future generations, and secondly, protect children's health from environmental pollutants. So if you'd like to be part of that, it's free to get involved. There's no charge for any of the content, any of the training that we do, so hop on board, gogreeninitiative.org. Well, if you're just tuning in, our guests today are Paul Tweet and Michael Anderson. They have been taking on a huge task this year to paddle 1,200 miles of rivers in Minnesota to clean them up, get the litter and the garbage out. And Michael, for you, I, I just it's hard for me to understand how so much litter ends up in the riverways. Where does it come from? It's like when I hear you guys talking about cleaning up 50 tires so far, it's like, does everybody with a spare tire drive down to the river and throw it in? Or is there some other way that all this stuff's getting in there? What's going on? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know about everyone just throwing a tire in, but I think, I think a big part of it is you know, we're, we're products of our times in so many ways. Um, and kind of what Paul and I get to experience on these rivers every day is, is kind of a glimpse of, of time travel. Um, you know, we see things like old trucks that are lining the river banks. And this was kind of a, so I mean by products of our time, that was a viable option for securing the riverbank. This was a thing for sure on the Minnesota River. Um, we even heard stories about folks would drive a truck out onto the ice in the wintertime and wait for it to melt and let the truck drop in. And that was a sign that spring is here. So, you know, it's, it's very much this idea that we are products of our time. Um, and the river was, the rivers have often been treated as these sort of dump streams. There's this, this, this idea that things go away. You know, they, they go in the river, they float down and they're gone out of sight, out of mind. Well, it's not really acceptable in our, in, our, in our world today. There is no way. There's, there's, we were at a population level, uh, interconnected level, that there is no way. Everything is connected. So, you know, it, it really forces us to examine our modern-day systems, you know, asking questions like, is this sustainable? And then beyond sustainability, is this regenerative? You know, are these, are these systems that we're playing into cyclical? Um, you know, and, and so seeing things, oh, like just the abundance of plastics and styrofoam, you know, every Pepsi bottle, it's like <laughs> you have to follow the product around its whole life cycle and really ask, is, is, this, is this the way? So kind of a question that, that we ask ourselves are, what, what are some of those more regenerative systems? What are those more regenerative ways? And, and really just taking action and, and responsibility to keep pushing, pushing forward. Well, and it's really interesting that you use the word regenerative, and I think that's a really important concept, especially when we're talking about water, because everybody who went through sixth grade science knows that 
you know, our water supply on the planet Earth is finite. It's a cycle. Mm. Mm. <laughs> We're not making more, you know, and, and anything that we pollute, um, we end up drinking or we end mm. up, you know, bathing in or swimming in in some way. And we know that, you know, our water treatment plants can't pull some of the things out of the water that we're putting into it in terms of chemicals and uh, pharmaceuticals and things like that. And so, you know, this is where human regeneration, you know, is at its most important point. I mean, besides air, we need water to live. It's about our own survival. And, And it's really interesting the way an expedition like yours gets us all thinking about how what we're putting in the water ultimately ends up in our bodies. And so, I don't know, you guys have really, really got me thinking about ways to, you know, underscore that thought with some of the people who are following your work. And and Paul, I'm interested in hearing from you, how does the litter that you've seen in the rivers impact the ecosystem? Did you notice animals or plants affected by the litter? Yes, we absolutely did. I, I just want to take one second, Jill, just to say that I, we totally agree and have had so many conversations about the, the regeneration and the cycles of how these chemicals and pollutants are, are being taken in by all the animals, including ourselves. We are human animals, and we, aren't, we need to consider the, the regeneration of our species in the future and those to come because... These things do build up within animals. Um, anyone who has read Silent Spring by Rachel Carson knows about the, the accumulation of pollutants within a living being and how that can be super detrimental to bald eagles, to all the birds. Um, and, you know, yes, in what we've seen on the river, we've seen metals that are leaching and everything around them is toxic, has this glossy sheen. There's nothing growing around that. Um, We've seen rubber tires that are so deteriorated that they're falling apart. And again, nothing growing on the riverbank near them. There's just this toxic look to the the soil there. Um, We've seen broken glass. I ended up with a, a piece of glass in my foot because I was going barefoot one day and one thing leads to another. Sometimes you don't expect something, but it's always there. And that's something that I want to be able to do as a human animal is be able to walk barefoot on this earth. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a deep connection and rootedness that you get from that. And this, this glass on the ground everywhere just broken is to me unacceptable. So we're out here doing something about it. Um, we've seen it. countless dead fish and even dead pelicans in, in the waters. And, you know, some of that could be from natural causes, some from maybe mishandling of, of fish when they're caught. But without a doubt, I can say for sure that there's probably some of that that's from lead weights that are lost from fishing because we've found so much fishing tackle that has been left behind, dropped, uh, line cut because it got snagged or or broken. Um, And in one case in particular, uh, an experience that we had portaging over a dam, we saw a group of pelicans, and these these four pelicans were there, and three of them flew away as we approached with our boats. And one of them didn't really seem to be going anywhere. It kept looking at us, and 
it was aware of us, but it wasn't leaving. And at first we didn't see why, but after a few moments, as we went back to get the next load of gear, as I was walking back, I looked back and I saw that its leg was stretched out behind it and it was trying to get away, but it was caught in fishing line, which I almost walked right into uh, as I was walking back to get gear. And so I told Michael it was caught in the line and that it couldn't go away. And so he grabbed his knife to come back and to cut it free. And as, as he approached it, then it broke the line and was finally able to swim away. Uh, but that's a, one example, just direct example of how the the litter that ends up in the river really does affect the wildlife firsthand. Absolutely. You know, Michael, there's been so much attention lately on the oceanic garbage patches. But for some reason, not so much attention on garbage and our nation's freshwater rivers. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, I... I, I firmly agree there should be a lot of attention as well on these large oceanic patches. It's, it's a major problem, of course, and to speak in particular about the rivers, you know, I think part of it does get back into that kind of carried out of sight, out of mind mentality that just doesn't fit anymore. It doesn't have room in, 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 in our current society, and, and so that, that is changing, I, I hope and I believe. Um, but rivers, you know, have long been treated as the dumps, as the sewer system of our continent, of the, of all the lands around the world. Um, so hopefully that's changing. I, I think there's a lot of great awareness and, and people taking action around the world. Um, and, you know, it just kind of gets into this concept of the downstream effect. Um, so, you know, what I put in the water here is obviously carried downriver. And, you know, you look at something like the dead zone at the Gulf of Mexico, where the Mississippi River drains into, it's 5,000 square miles. There's no yeah. oxygen. There's no life, you know, and that's, that's a direct effect. And um, so this downstream effect is, is really important and can be very damaging environmentally, socially, economically. Um, you know, so I think it's, it's just really comes back to each and every one of us taking responsibility um, for our actions and, and having that awareness and understanding that we do leave a trace uh, with mm-hmm. every single thing we do, what we say, what we think, what we do. Um, it's super important and to have that awareness and then take responsibility and make a choice of how you want to leave your, your trace behind for, for this life and for the generations to come. Well, and it's so true. Everybody, unless you live at the North Pole, everybody's downstream (laughs) from somebody else, right? Uh And, Uh you know, and I think it's really important for us to consider the ramifications of that, Um, you know, that, that being downstream from others and being upstream from others is a human connection we don't often consider, but, um, because our water flows through affluent towns and economically mm-hmm. challenged towns, there's no way to buy your way out of mm-hmm. water contamination. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, we are all subject to that. And, and recent um, news reports from all parts of the country about water contamination, of course, we focus on things like Flint, Michigan, where the the 
population is, you know, in many ways economically challenged. But there were places in North Carolina where coal ash uh, ended up leaking into the waterways. And that was, you know, that was a middle class area. So none of us is exempt from this. We're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we have so much more to talk about. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. We're talking to the founders of an organization I'm a big fan of. It's called Adventure Stewardship. And you can check out their website by opening a new tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us here in this tab on voiceamerica.com. But open up a new tab in your web browser and go to adventurestewardship.org. And there you'll find lots more information about what Paul and Michael are doing, ways that you can support them, and ways that you can get to engage with them. And I am really interested because when I talk to people like you guys um, who are doing such great work, I I like to hear the backstory. I like the human interest piece. And so, Michael, we'll start with you. If you would, tell us your backstory and what led you to do this kind of work because we have a lot of young adults who listen to the show, and I'd love to hear what advice you have for, for them based on your life story. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I'll, I'll kind of scratch the surface at uh, my life story. Of course, there's always layers, just like with everyone. Um, and and just to kind of start, is just always fascinated with the life around me, with the plants, the trees, the animals. Um, I, in high school biology, I was looking at pond water 
<laughs> under a microscope, mm-hmm. and that just completely opened my world that life exists at all these different layers. Um, fast forwarding, you know, fr- I was a freshman in college at the University of Minnesota, and I kind of spiraled out. I kind of spiraled into a deep, dark depression in my ecology classes. It was slide after slide of ecological devastation um, and just kind of left me in this hopelessness state. From there, I, I, I took this course called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And in that course, it encouraged walking meditation. And I was fortunate enough at the University of Minnesota to be right along uh, the great river that Paul and I will paddle in the fall, the Mississippi. Um, and so with that, I just started walking down at the river every day and really just kind of expanding uh, my awareness, expanding my, my perspective. And for, for all the young, the young people out there and, and just kind of everyone, you know, you matter. You really matter, and you have your own unique purpose right here, right now. Um, so just investigate it, explore it, constantly seek out new opportunities which expand your edges, seeking these new perspectives, and, you know, find out, find out about it for yourself. You know, don't always necessarily believe uh, what, is, what is given to you as the end-all truth. Um, try, you know, focusing on having a growth mindset that you're not static, uh, but just like everything else in life, you're ever-changing. Surrender to it. Learn from it. Use the word yet in your vocabulary. I don't know about that yet, you know, but I will. Um, understanding everything moves and cycles. Accepting that, accepting the flow. Um, staying positive. Trusting that it will come back around. And, you know, really believing in your core that you are empowered, you are capable, and you're activated. You know, if you're not satisfied with something, you're not content with something, that's okay. Change it. You know, nobody else has your path, has your karma. Nobody's going to do the work for you. Uh, you know, be that, be that activated change agent. And just to leave, to leave that with a mantra that Paul and I often use is, I am everything that I need right here in this moment. Um, you know, it's, it's just a really powerful one to fall back onto. I love that. Would you say that one more time? Because I don't yeah. want to forget that. Yeah, I am everything that I need right here in this moment. That should be a bumper sticker. I love, well, actually, no cars. Let's put it on a t-shirt or something. I love that. I love that. Now, Paul, I want to ask you the same question. Uh, tell us about your journey to this point in your life and give our young listeners some words of wisdom. Yeah, so I guess this to start it out, uh, ever since I was a young, young kid, I had always been going on family backpacking, uh, not backpacking, but camping trips and getting outdoors. I was fortunate to grow up in an area where I had really easy access to nature, and I always found myself very much outdoors, uh, exploring in the in the fields and in the forest. And to go kind of fast forward from there, I, I ended up, after high school and after a few years of just working, trying to figure out where I was headed next, I moved to Montana and I got involved with an organization called Montana Conservation Corps and I started backpacking for a living. And so I was I was doing trails maintenance and I was learning about being an engaged citizen and developing a sense of place. And what I really developed as a sense of place was this this sense of myself as a human animal within an ecosystem. 
And then we have so many layers of politics and economics that go on top of that and how there are ways of making sustainable decisions. There's also ways of making regenerative decisions. And then there's ways that are neither of those. And so it always became kind of this self-responsibility of, of how everything, I'm, I'm a person who analyzes a lot and I, I find myself really into details, as Michael said earlier, and I, I go down rabbit holes, if you will. <laughs> and uh, so that was something, just seeing that, that responsibility and those, those choices, I was able to analyze through a lot of that in a lot of the, the actions that I make in my daily life. Like, am I going to use a paper towel? Is that what I want my trees to go to? No, I'm going to carry a bandana or a, a handkerchief that I can wipe my hands with. And, and wash that later instead of using napkins. Uh, things of that nature. There's so many more responsibilities that you can take on that are regenerative. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, after, after the MCC, I moved into through hiking and developing a group called Packing It Out with my friend Seth Orm and Joe Dennert. And we, we hiked the Appalachian Trail and we hiked the Pacific Crest Trails and we cleaned up trash the whole way. And that was 4,000 850 miles of hiking in two years and we cleaned up 1800 pounds of trash and we had a smile on our faces the entire way we never never fell down on that never never got negative so i'd say that to as words of wisdom just know that you can do so much with help you can do so much more together and also one person can really make a massive impact on the planet if you're just willing to take action. You guys are such an inspiration, and I'm so glad that you shared that with our listeners. I, I would imagine that we have listeners who are thinking, we got to get these guys to come speak to our group. <laughs> and I know that on the website for Adventure Stewardship Alliance, there are several presentations that you guys give. Give us a little bit of an overview about how our listeners might be able to g- engage with you guys in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the website, there are some, and that's constantly being updated and refined. And kind of some of our main ones right now is, you know, what it, what it really means to go with the flow. You know, having a strong vision, accepting the process, knowing that it will look different, but trusting. Um, another one we get into is around this positive trace ethics, that I am alive. I do leave a trace. It's up to me to take responsibility of that and, you know, choose to leave it positive. Um, from these rivers, we're really, really <laughs> learning in our bones more about this, the water is life, you know, and this cannot be overstated or undervalued. And uh, these perspectives uh, from these 1,200 miles by the end of the season, you know, there's just so much to share. Um, and so some of our other, other presentations, uh, I have experience. I've worked at the National Park Service as an interpretive ranger. We're both, we've both been outdoor educators. So we have a lot of backcountry skills um, and how to, how to thrive, you know, and kind of what, what that means in the backcountry. And, you know, we work with all ages, all group sizes, all settings, you know, from young kids with their first nature experiences to executive business teams, you know, with lessons in compassionate listening and being an activated team member. Um, you know, we're involved with, with keynote speak, uh, speeches to multi-day workshops, um, you know, we're it. here and we, we, we want to share. So, yeah, reach out. Uh, check the website, adventurestewardship.org. 
Thank you so much, guys, for being on. I wish we had the rest of the day to have you on. You were fantastic guests. And I thank all of our listeners for tuning in as well. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. And until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.